Uh, just so you know, the water may or may not have been cold. Um, well, today is exciting for multiple reasons. We're going to jump into the talk today, but I'm kind of excited. I know Aaron mentioned that it was his first time doing the little communication team gig, but I love that there's multiple new people serving in different venues and different veins and on the soundboard and on the media. And while sometimes that might mean we have a couple glitches, it means we have a huge win on the side of people giving themselves in service and allowing themselves to be used by the Lord, which is always crazy exciting to see because no matter where we're at, no matter where our gift sets are, there's always somewhere, some way that God can use us. And so that is pretty sweet to see. Jumping in today to, uh, we're going to be looking in Luke 9 at a couple sweet sections of Scripture but first, I want you to picture something with me, if you will. I want you to uh, envision maybe the best view you've ever experienced in your life. Kind of think through, like, where is somewhere you've gone and you were just, like, there was a moment where it was just absolutely breathtaking. Ever just remember moments like that? I, boy, maybe it was the first time that I was invited up to eat in the, the top of the Columbia Tower by somebody who could afford to take me there. And uh, so that was sweet. The view is amazing. Even from the bathroom in that restaurant, I was like taking pictures. <laughs> wow, this is awkward. Uh, and so you do that. Somewhere probably on iCloud, there's the wrong perspective and somebody put it online. It wasn't me. I'm just kidding. Uh, so there's, there's those moments. Or, you know, uh, maybe it's on a hike somewhere. I don't know what you've been involved with. Maybe you've, you've, you, you're a hiker, and so you see views all the time. Maybe you fly a lot, so you're like, whoa, looking down on Rainier is sweet, or flying into Seattle. Or maybe you've had the opportunity to go horsebacking into Basin Lake, and it's just absolutely breathtaking. The views you see next to sheer cliffs as you think you're going to die on a horse. And then you have moments where uh, maybe some of you have skydived. I don't know. Any skydivers in here? You've jumped out of perfectly good planes. You guys are nuts. Um, uh, bungee jumpers? Who's in my club? Bungee jumpers? Yes. It's really fun. Uh, I, I remember the uh, bungee jumping my first time. And this is, this is kind of where I want to land a little. Um, you know, when you go to this moment where you have this pinnacle moment, you've gone up to a mountaintop or you're at the point of view, there's always a story on your way up and on your way back down, isn't there? I mean, sometimes the image we capture, you know, hashtag where I stand, that whole like image that you find online is of the pinnacle, but yet there's stories on both sides. I remember the first time I bungee jumped, it was in the, the top first time as if it's a regular habit. Okay, the only time I bungee jumped, that was kind of funny. The first time, well, you know, it was in the water. No, I was in the West Edmonton Mall back in the day that they would wrap just like a towel around your feet and a little strap and say, jump. <laughs> but on my way up, I remember they make you walk all the way around the water park on like, kind of like this room's laid out, but you know, you're 12 stories up. So for like this whole walk, you've gone up an elevator you're kind of looking down. At the, <laughs> I'm about to jump down there. This is not smart. What did I get myself into? And so you're having that moment. And, and then I wasn't prepared at all. The bungee jump, I thought, was like, yeah. But I didn't know that like a rubber band, think about it, it snaps you all the way back up. So I didn't realize like I may hit my head on this platform. You know, This is one of those moments in your life, by the way, when you bungee jump and they say, how much do you weigh? You don't want to lie. 
because you're going full on into the water ankle deep. Like I went all the way into the water and then, you know, they grab you with a little thing. It was, it was really incredibly fun. And so there's these stories on the, the way in and on the, the way out. And, and why I bring that up is this moment that we're about to read in Luke 9, really 18 through 27. We're just going to go through 20 here in a second. But this is the pinnacle moment of the book of Luke, right? Because Luke wrote this book for all of us to know that Jesus is really the Christ, like, this is really the Son of God. And this is kind of that moment for the author Luke writing this book when he finally introduces the reality that this is the Son of God. And here's how it unfolds. Verse 18, once when Jesus was praying in private and the disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah. Man, if you're scrolling through your Bible there on your phone and you have a different version, maybe it says the Christ of God. Like, in their culture, they understood what this means. Like, I'm not going to attribute that to anybody lest I be put to death that's not actually the Son of God. This is a big moment. So here's the disciples. They've just witnessed an incredible miracle, the feeding of the 5,000 right? 5,000 men. There could have been as many as 20,000 there. They were told to sit down in groups of 50. These disciples, 12 disciples, fed these guys fish and bread, of which they didn't have enough of, but was multiplied, and they collect 12 baskets at the end. But here's the deal. There were groups of 50, probably about 400 groups of 50. These disciples just visited each small group of 50, fed them, picked up their their mess afterwards, and came back. Jesus and them went away to a quiet place to pray, and something happened in that moment of prayer, and Jesus is like, quickened to ask them, who do those 400 groups of people, like, what's the murmur? What's the word? What are they saying? Who am I? So that's where we're, man, I find his timing interesting here. And, and, and you've heard me mention it earlier in this series, but there are certain moments throughout the book of Luke that are called like Lucan terminologies or whatever. One thing that the book of Luke really highlights compared to the other accounts of the gospel, Luke really likes to highlight that Jesus was in prayer. So he highlights this, Jesus was in prayer. He was praying in private. And one of the things when I slow down to read the Bible and start to think, like when considering the full meat God desires for us to grab from passages like this, I began to just go, okay, wait, why, why was it so important for Luke to put this there? Because he was with Jesus, right? They were praying in private with the disciples. They were all present, and Jesus is praying. What did God say to Jesus? 
or show Jesus or make Jesus feel to lead him to suddenly go, hey, to come from that moment of prayer and devotion to seeking God to go, wait, who do they say I am? I mean, it's easy to just brush past this, the, the room, the moment. Maybe God said, son, they're ready to go beyond the signs and know what is ahead of them. Maybe God said, Jesus, it's time they confess it out loud. Go ask them, who am I? Or did Jesus just get a flash vision of the future? Did he get a quick, like, vision of the crucifixion and the stripes he was going to bear for our healing? Did he see himself raising from the grave? What flash, what moment just occurred? Or did Jesus see Judas betray him and the disciples follow suit? Like, what really did he see? Because Jesus is fully God, right? But He's also fully man. And it's moments like this. It's when did Jesus start remembering? When did He start getting visions of what was to come? Isn't it interesting to consider? Because He's there and He's just like, was He in prayer and all of a sudden He was just like, <gasps> wait, who do they say I am? You know what I'm saying? Was that the moment? Or was it like, was he praying? He's like, hey guys, yo, who do they say I am, bros? You know, I don't know. I doubt it was like that. What are these? What's this? What's the word on the street? It wasn't kind of that moment. But it's this, we need to consider, like he was praying in private, and then all of a sudden, the questions. The reality is, this is the second time that that question comes up in Luke 9. So, so first, it was Herod, right? Like, who did who is this? Well, maybe it's Elijah, and maybe this is, this is, it couldn't be John. I beheaded him, and, you know, maybe it's a prophet of old. And so, what's happening is people are starting to realize this is not your average, solid follower of Jesus. This is something new. What is happening here? This has to be a, a supernaturally anointed individual, uh, potentially the Son of God, you know, so people are putting this together, and whether they dare cross that line and say, okay, no, this is the Son of God, for certain this is the Son of God, or whether they're still on this side of not quite sure who this is yet. That's the moment we're in, but Jesus is not normal, and they've all come to that understanding. And so, the disciples, are, they get this question put to them, and you have to realize Peter and his disciples have just, and the other disciples have witnessed Jesus' miracles of healing, his rule over nature, his rule uh, in raising the dead, casting out demons. They've heard his teaching, and they now acknowledge that he is, in fact, the Son of God. The promised Messiah has come. And of course, it's Peter that says it. And we'll learn more about Peter as we go through the Gospels, but just Peter is that guy that is just quick in any room, you know. Um, it's both good and bad to have this personality. I know I am a guy like a Peter who will just jump out and say something, not necessarily before I think heavily, 
you know. It could be words or sound effects. But I will, you know, say things that I never intended to say or make sounds that I never intended to make, like last week. Anyway, so I just, you know, I make mistakes and cross lines that I never should have crossed, but I do that. And um, that's Peter. So he quickly is like, oh, yeah, you're the Messiah. That's what we say, right? So Peter speaks up for the twelve. It's really a cool moment. And it's like the only moment we see Peter get like the badge of your right in Scripture. It's like the only moment, yet he can't wear the badge. He can't like, he gets the trophy and he can't put it on the shelf. Because listen what happens right after this. So Luke 9, 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. Peter's like, what? I'm right, and I can't tell him. Oh, right? So that's kind of, let's continue the reading. It goes, verse 22. He said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny himself, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, Someone or some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Ooh, that got really deep, Jesus. What were you praying about, right? Some of you who maybe you've been here in your, we, we just, we say in, in your worship guide that you're appointed to, it just says, relax, take this at your own pace. It's okay to kick the tires of the faith and kind of figure out who is Jesus. And some of you may be in that spot, like you're here and you're just like, I know at some point in time this is going to go weird. And, and hopefully you find it never does, but when a passage like this comes up, you go, oh, I saw those tables when we came in. This is the day we drink the Kool-Aid. This is when it's happening. They're, we're all going to like focus together and, you know, this is saying, man, if if you die for me, you'll live. Yeah, right. You're going to have me. There is poison in them, their cups, and we're going down together, aren't we? You know, it's, don't worry. That is grape juice. So, uh, and French bread that was like just cooked when we bought it this morning. So, we'll tell you what communion is here in a few minutes. But this is not the Kool-Aid that like puts you under for life to follow Jesus. That's not what this passage is saying. Jesus was just once again kind of showing them a new element, a new aspect of what it is to have faith in him. So why does he give the hush order? Peter gets it right. You're the Messiah, but he gives the hush order to his disciples. And here's the reality when you go in and you start to study the history of it. There were thousands, tens of thousands of people who now were starting to think, maybe this is the Messiah. And if at this point in time, before Jesus was taken 
by the elders and the rulers and the, that he spoke of, and before he was beaten and crucified, if, if they started to declare him as their earthly ruler, their Messiah, they would put him in a direct authority over their king, and he would be in direct opposition to Rome. War would break out, and this would not go according to prophecy. So he's like, God showed you this, but throw away the key, right? Wait until the proper time for this to be revealed. He's personally affirming his lordship. He's saying, okay, just don't tell anybody. He confesses, I am the Son of God to his disciples here. There's a new level of conviction to them, which opens them up to a new level of teaching, which is why Jesus, like, goes into giving them a flash of the future, which makes me think he must have seen this while he was praying. And when he got up, he was like, guys, you got to get this. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to be put on a cross. I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'll rise. I, I have to believe he was shown by God, again, reminded this is how this story is going to conclude on earth. You've been faithful. Now get up and let's prepare the disciples because you know what? You've given them all your authority and power here just moments ago, and they're going to need to literally be the ones to carry the message forward because you're not going to be with them much longer. Start to prep them for this. So he gets up and he begins to share and affirm what he is going to do that he needed to bear our stripes first, go to the cross and raise from the dead before he was like put in battle as a king ruler over all these people who wanted to serve him and do whatever he commanded. Because they thought the Messiah would be an earthly ruler. Now, we have a perspective that's kind of unfair compared to the disciples when we read this passage. I mean, we're in, we're in a complete, totally unfair perspective because we get to see people wearing cross necklaces with like Jesus on it or like, you know, we celebrate Easter, Christmas, the baby's born. You know, we got all this story that we're aware of. But the disciples, when he's speaking of dying and giving your life and carrying your cross, they're like, okay, he may have lost it, right? <laughs> they're, 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 this doesn't necessarily compute yet for these guys. But to anybody who's had a little bit of exposure to elements of the faith, we can start to see some things that the disciples would have still been in the dark, like, wait, carry your cross. Like, the only people who carry crosses, Jesus, those are people that are dying capital punishment. Why would you say that? So they have to have, like, a bunch of questions popping into their, their mind here. As the cross approaches for Jesus, he's getting this, but they don't. The disciples saw Jesus as one who blesses, one who delivers, one who gives freedom to people. He, th this was the happy Jesus. This was the, the, the Jesus that only good things happened around. They'd yet to see the Jesus they would have to suffer to follow. And he begins to introduce them to this whole concept of potentially suffering and giving their lives to follow him. So, uh, for those of you who like points, uh, the handout that's there in your, your, your bulletin or worship guide or handout, whatever we call it, the little fill-in, 
There's four points Jesus goes into as he teaches his disciples here. Starting in verse 23, I'll just read it again. He said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up their cross, and follow me. Let's, let's start there. Number one, deny yourself. This is the opposite of indulgence. Deny yourself. This is not inviting Jesus into our lives to bless us on our own agenda, but it's completely abandoning our plans for the plans that are better that He has for us. I don't know that we get this in America. I mean, it's rejection of life based on self-interest and self-indulgence and self-fulfillment. This is saying, yeah, no longer will I live a life like that. <laughs> and uh, in coming chapters, in Luke 14, it actually kind of phrases it like this. Instead of saying, deny yourself, it says, hate your own life. Those are pretty strong words, Jesus. That was crazy. Number two, we'll talk more about deny yourself on point four. Take up your cross daily. Again, this would have made absolutely, this would have been confusing to the disciples. Take up your cross daily. This is truly a call to follow all the way to death if necessary. This is the call to martyrdom. Now, the disciples wouldn't have got that, but it was the call to that. This is not a once-for-all commitment. This is a daily confession or emphasis or willingness. It takes every day we wake up going, okay, again, today, Lord, I'm yours, whatever the cost. Every day could be that day where we have to, to take our place or, or take our stand for Jesus. I began to think, go, go, man, what would that day be for me, right? What would freak me out? What would make me say, okay, I'm picking up my cross today, like this is it? What if you woke up and felt the urge, today I am going to go pray for the nearest Ebola victim without any hazmat outfit, right? You're just like, oh, okay, God, I don't know. Like, no, seriously, like, they'll be healed. You need to go do it. But you're like, if they're not, I'm goner, right? What is it that would be like, I look at Cornelius, I believe it was, in the book of Acts, who had to go, he was the first guy to go pray over Saul, who was killing Christians, but had since had this encounter with Jesus on this desert road and was held up in a place blinded. And God says, go and lay your hands on Saul, who's been persecuting Christians, and his eyes will be opened and pray for him. And we're like, okay, so wait, you want me to go into a room with a guy who's going to kill me? Put my hands on him and pray? Are you crazy? What's the cross look like to you? What's that thing that this is going to be a little tough for you to pick up and follow Jesus? What cross is too heavy for you to bear? One of the reasons we need each other in the faith is so we don't do anything really weird <laughs> and we can get confirmation from one another hey, what are you feeling? I'm feeling like the Lord's challenging me to do this. What are your thoughts, guys? You know me because we have a significant relationship with one another and Jesus. Can you help me out here? Should I really go and pray for like Ebola victims? Well, 
Let's pray about that together, right? I, I mean, if you're flying solo, if you're not in a group, if you're not with other people, you could do some weird stuff. You need accountability. You need voices. You need… Does that make sense? Is it too much to ask you to give up a night of your week to focus on Jesus? For some people, that cross is just too much to bear. Well, I can't. I have soccer this night, and then I got to get 12 hours of sleep, and then, you know, my favorite show's on. If it goes late, I might miss the blacklist. I know it's not on till 10, but, you know, sweet show. And then, you know, there's Monday night football, and now there's Thursday night football, and now there's the on-demand of football. And then there's, you know, Hawks play at 125 against the Cowboys, and Cowboys, you know, it's like... I don't know. <laughs> you just get all this. You know, we come up with reasons we can't, can't, can't. Is it too much to show up to activate next Sunday night at 6 o'clock and, and find out why Open Life does what we do and how do we do it? I mean, if you've never been to an activate yet, I encourage you, come to activate. It's at our house next Sunday night, 6 o'clock. Two hours, we're going to walk through, like, what makes Open Life tick? If you've yet to be to that, you find some interesting things that will make you either want to follow Jesus if you're not yet there, or maybe realize this may not be the family I should be a part of. Both are wins. We'll talk more about that next Sunday night. But activate. It's on the back of your connection card if you want to check it. What's, is it too heavy of a cross to volunteer or serve in the community or serve a food bank or serve a school or serve here at Open Life? What is it? What's too heavy of a cross for you to take up for the cause of Christ? Is it too much to read the Bible? once a day with your kids at night before you go to bed or pray with them and start to introduce spiritual things into their life. Allow God to kind of come in that moment and reveal Himself to them. Man, is it too high for you to serve kids? I read just a ridiculously heartbreaking statistic this week about the percentage of single mothers in our world and, and the reality that they just do not have a male role model presence in their life whatsoever, and they find themselves in this void of male leadership, specifically spiritual leadership in any realm. And what an honor would it be for us to start serving in areas where maybe like it's all women right now, like kids ministry. And for some of us, that just trips our weird meter, like me, and I just, I just start to panic in, in moments where there's like lots of kids. I sh- helped chaperone like this pumpkin farm thing this week, and these kids are jumping around in the corn, and, and I'm just going, help, right? This one kid needs his shoes put on, and, and, and he's like, that's not my shoe. I'm like, they match. That's not my shoe. I'm like, yeah, no, seriously, dude, it's your shoe. No, it's not. It's not my shoe. So this other lady comes over to intervene. Guy's trying to help him. Creeper, right? I'm the husband of the teacher, by the way. Anyway, so, and she, she's like, no, no. She, she's like, honey, honey, is this your shoe? Yeah. I'm like, what, sucker? You just told me that's not your shoe. I was so mad. I didn't do that, but I was just like, ugh, some reason. But they need that. They just don't have men in their life, you know, and can we make an impact that way? I think it'd be cool. It'd be cool if maybe, like, even if open life could be one of those spaces where, where kids could get encouraged by adult men in a healthy way. And uh, um, I just really got messed up when I started reading statistics of that lack in their life because I know the difference it's made in my world. Point three. We're supposed to follow Jesus. 
So not only are we supposed to deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, but we're supposed to follow Jesus. And, and if I can get teachy for a moment, use some terminology that's kind of like Englishy, if you would. The verb here is present imperative, which literally means it's continual. Again, this whole daily mindset, right, or continual, not even more so than just daily. It's every moment of every day we need to follow Jesus. We need to find, okay, where is Jesus and how do I center myself on Him? You know, I need to, to, to find my, my way to keep Jesus as my focus in this world. So when I'm getting a promotion, where's Jesus in the promotion? And give Him thanks for it. When I'm, when I'm uh, finding a trial, okay, how do I grow in this? Because Jesus has to be in this. We're just keeping Jesus. we got to follow Jesus through the good, the bad, the ugly. Sin, again, is an, an archery term that means to miss the mark, right? Jesus said He came to save sinners. He came to save people who just weren't on target. doesn't mean they were horrible people. They just needed to get in line. They needed to, to find center. They needed to find Jesus, the bullseye. And if He could lead them back to, okay, this is fulfillment. This is life to the full. Right here, follow me. That's why He came. This is how we can confidently pursue God and feel at peace in life and say that Jesus is Savior so we keep Him in focus. I don't know. It's interesting. To this point, we have seen Jesus as the Savior, right? Through the lens of faith and repentance, and now Jesus gives us this insight of denying and taking up a cross daily and following. And, and if we thought of these as additional steps to faith and repentance, we would be wrong. God is not saying, okay, in addition to confessing Jesus is Lord, now you need to, mm, mm, mm. and then we get on that road, and it's like 90 things later. Okay, what else do I need to do today? Okay, the sacrifice of prayer. Okay, the sacrifice of prayer. Check. You know, no, it's not another checkbox. These are aspects of faith and repentance. It would take faith to deny ourselves. It would take repentance to turn to Jesus. These are not new requirements, but descriptive aspects of belief and repentance that we're talking about. That's healthy to know. It's like, you know, it's like a prism. You see all these different angles and colors, and, but it's all one thing, faith in Jesus. Let me wrap up with this thought. Luke 9, 24 through 25 says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? So let me just put point four like this. Forfeit your life. Forfeit your life. The act of losing or surrendering something in this case, right, in this case, our interpretation of our life, forfeit your life for the best life God has intended for you to receive through Christ, right? 
If we'll just go, okay, God, here it is. I give it to you. Here's my whole being. I'm all in. I'm all in. What is possible on the other side of that moment? And back to what Jesus must have seen or heard when he was in prayer. Maybe he saw our generation. Can you imagine, clerk, 2,000 years ago, Jesus is like, 2014, great Scott. Oh, maybe he wouldn't have said that. There's like two people who saw Back to the Future in the room and they got that. But they're like, you know, it's like 2014. But if he could have just got a quick, he would have seen a culture consumed with our own identity. Defending us from birth. And we're trying to put ourselves into God's Scripture and focused on how do I justify God to bless me, but I'm going to keep me with everything. In fact, I'm going to take my stand on me. The whole dying to self and, and giving up myself is not in our culture. So we're talking something extremely countercultural today. And I get that. This is tough pill to swallow. And really, you're going to have to let this one kind of resonate a little bit. What if instead of us through Jesus, what if it's we find our identity in Jesus and allow Him to shape us as children of God, created in His likeness and image? with a plan and a destiny. He has a hope for us, a plan for our future. This is good news, not bad news. It's not bad news. Ah, you lose your life. Bad news. No, this is great news because we get a chance to let the pressure off of us and go, here I am, Lord, and totally surrender and watch true life kick in. We spend so much time making our lives and those in our lives our idols. And I'm a parent. I am guilty of this. When my kids become my idols and I live through, I was never as smart as Jocelyn and Jenna here are in school with straight A's. And I'm just going, they come home, I got an A minus. I got one question wrong. I'm like, okay, time to crawl under a hole. I'm glad they've never seen my test scores. But anyway, I'm just saying, you know, this is not, I'm like, wow. But you do. You're just like, my kids are perfect. Oh, you know, and, and then we try to open every door for them, but where's Jesus in it? Is he in this conversation? We truly find ourselves in selflessness. And some of us have gotten that. We begin to serve others, and it's like, oh, it's not about me. It's about what I can do for others, and then that's what's really fulfilling in life. Yet we live in a generation where people so sadly stand firm on self versus Jesus. And maybe they've never read this passage. And maybe that's you and my responsibility to just help people understand the heart of God is surrender. And there's freedom in that. Honestly, this was messing with me the other night. I just started to lose it when I was finalizing this talk. Worship team, you could come up just in case I can't go on anymore. I'm just kidding. I'm not that. Um, Jesus gave up his life, and 
He was willing to go to our cross and shed His blood so that we could be free from the penalty of sin, and they buried Him, and He rose three days later and did then ascend into heaven, and like we now have a promise of eternal life, but we are unwilling to let go of us. This really is challenging to me. And uh, I just see, like, here's the world and everything it offers, and here is, here is life. One looks like forfeit, but honestly, if we lay down our life and give it to Jesus, we gain the whole world. We, the Bible says we'll live life to the full, but it's that act of faith and trusting Jesus. Like, holy with everything. Choose to forfeit your life to follow Jesus, and you'll start an adventure, mind-blowing adventure that you've never imagined. And some of you have been on, on that adventure for years, and others, you're just still going, I don't know about this one. It's worth it. It's worth crossing that line of faith. And today, we're going to practice one of those beautiful things the Scripture dialogues about. It's called communion. Again, this is not the funky Kool-Aid that puts you on the other side of eternity to discover, is there eternal life? Well, drink this and you'll find out. No, we're going to stay alive today physically, but hopefully we give our life to Jesus today and we just die to self. And this is a declaration of the price Jesus paid. The bread represents His body and the grape juice represents Jesus' blood. It's not going to turn into blood when you go up here. It's, it's literally juice. And, uh, and you can take the bread and just dip it in the juice because He challenged His disciples to take the bread and, and to take the wine as He was speaking to His culture. And He said, you know, do this in remembrance of Me. This is My body broken for you. Take it. And He said, and this is My blood shed for you. Drink this cup and remember me. And so we're going to remember Jesus today because this is where He's pointing us to in this Scripture. So you can freely, I don't know if you've been in other worship environments, the way we take communion is you, while we're singing, you can walk up and dip in the, the, the juice and just take the bread right there. You don't have to uh, uh, hold it until we all take of it together. But I'm going to pray for you and uh, and just allow you to do that, and then you make your way back to your seats, and Aaron uh, totally knows what he's doing. He's going to come up and close us at the end. I just love putting the pressure on somebody. If he closes us wrong, we'll be here for the full… He committed 70 more minutes when he was up here doing the welcome. We're, our service is only 70 minutes long, but he gave us another 20 minutes today, so I'm just giving you bad time. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you give us this opportunity to, to worship you with our life being laid down. I don't know what you saw, Jesus, when you were praying to your Father after that miraculous feeding of thousands of people with your disciples, but you put the question to them, and they had to confess. Either they just thought you were a cool, abnormally powerful dude, or you were really the Messiah, and they confessed Messiah. And you confirmed it. 
this pinnacle moment in the book of Luke, we now have the opportunity to declare the same thing. And we get to choose Jesus as Lord. And, and I pray that if somebody's here today and they've just been exploring, what is this Jesus about? Maybe today's the day it just it clicked and they're saying, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to follow Jesus. And, and I'm going to do exactly as this passage says. I'm going to lay my life down and take up the life God intends for me, which is promised to be even better than what I was living. And God, I pray that as we celebrate through communion and remember the, your body sacrificed for us on the cross and your blood shed for us, and the, we just give you praise for that. We all pursue you. We're all following you. We want to keep you at the center of our life. And we give you praise for challenge like this to bring us back to you. Give you the glory for this day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Why don't you all stand?